Welcome to another episode of Inside. I'm Dom Harbin. I'm joined by Scenario Neil and Bath Fangirl Jack Millmore. This week we're joined by the man who does this. <laughs> This is Mr. Ollie Barkley. How are you this evening, Ollie? Good, mate. Good, thank you. Getting, getting yeah. through end of, end of another very, very long week. Yeah, agreed. Uh, we had a brief chat just before about the lockdown. What have you been doing to uh, keep yourself busy? Um, I, I'm in I'm in property, so it, it's kind of like it's business as usual, really. I mean, things have slowed down pretty much in terms of like buying and conveyancing, but as you guys will know, like it's um, as Neil just said, it, construction is cracked on. Really, it's, it's sort of it's flying along. It's just taking a bit longer to do stuff. So we've generally been um, carrying on a few renovations, acquired a few bits and pieces. But generally, it's there's a lot going on. But it's just whatever is going on is moving very very slowly. So work-wise, mainly that. I'm still doing quite a bit of charity work at the moment with a with a friend of mine. And we have a um, we have a foundation with, which has been which has been a really good really use of our time but other than that just i've been trying to stay clear of netflix trying trying to stay clear of that trap because i I can binge with the best of them um mate just yeah keeping routine just try to find fun little little fun days in the the abnormalities of life at the moment but other than that cannot wait for whenever when is it mid end of March, mid April, June twenty first? Where where yeah, so many dates? Any of them? Just keep it coming. Yeah, no, I think that, that day will go down in the history of sessions uh, of all time. I definitely think I definitely think they are relieving the pressure of the NHS because that weekend it's going to go tits up, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Massively, it's going to go oh, tits oh. up that weekend. Well, yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> So no, just <laughs> so just touch on your career. Obviously, um, I mean, how hard was it to start your career at? You know, probably one of the biggest clubs in the world. You know, coming as a Bath fan myself, Bath. Um, mate, it was. I mean, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I, I didn't actually want. And that's not. That's not true. I didn't definitely know I wanted to play rugby until about <clears throat> I was about. 17 I went to Colston's in Bristol and had a scholarship to go there and ended up um, being offered uh, like a three-year contract at Bath when I was in my final year um, doing A-levels and I I actually I actually wasn't totally sure I wanted to take it I had like I had um, I've always wanted to travel and I knew that if I went straight to Bath that that would would kick traveling traveling to the curb and I really really wanted to be a I don't know why I wanted to be one because I've done bits and pieces of it now and it's shocking. But I wanted to be a teacher. I'm not knocking teachers; that they're, they're a very important part of of, uh, of our society and of and of the next generation. But I just just can't believe I wanted it as badly as I did. <laughs> but I did. I did want it, and and it actually put a potential spanner in the works. Anyway, I, my my coach just started, you know, convinced me otherwise, and uh, ended up going to Bath. But it was actually quite a a easy transition for me in the way that um, I was a bit cheeky. I went, I went to Andy Robinson and, I, and said that I would sign the contract if he allowed me to basically go away for a year. Wow! And he, he looked at me in the in the meeting. My mum was in the corner. I didn't have, I didn't have an agent then. And um, he, I mean, his face. He, he can frown with the best of them, but he just looked at me for about thirty seconds, didn't say a word, and I shat myself because um, <laughs> he, he is. 
he is a he's an ominous man when you're an 18 year old kid trying to get a contract at one of the biggest clubs. Um, I still I'm still scared of him now actually, um, and and he, he agreed to it. <laughs> he actually agreed to it. Yeah, so I ended up, I, I trained in the first into about October and then went to, new, travelled through South African Australia with my mates and then ended up in New Zealand and then played, played for a, like a local club in New Zealand that um, a, an old uh, Canopy Crusaders player called Angus Gardner organised for me yep. um, and then stayed there till I was, till June when I went on the, the England tour and then came back to Bath and then that's when it really started. But the, the introduction, you know, it was quite nice to sort of go in and then come out go travelling for a bit and then come back. It was quite a unique setup, but mm. I'm really grateful they allowed me to do that because if I, if I hadn't have taken that then, it would have been, you know, the next time I would have been able to do something like that would have been when I retired, which was three or four years ago. Mm. And obviously you have, you know, you had an amazing seven years at Bath. Uh, then you decided you wanted to kick your rugby on a bit and go to a better club and go down the road to Gloucester. Uh, what, what, what was the decision process there? Neil's a Gloucester fan, as you can probably tell. The decision was like at the time, like I, I, we, we had a really good year that year at Bath, the year that I left, and I just really felt at the time that they were. I mean, everyone says that I went for cash. I didn't. I actually would have got, would have would have taken more money to stay at Bath. That Bath offered me more money than Gloucester did. Um, but I just felt with their stadium, they were the only one, the only clubs in the league at that point that had sort of serious stadium. And I just their squad they were building, and Dean Ryan was, I think, is a great coach. Um, some of the players they had there, you know, at the time, and the, and the money that they were willing to spend on strengthening the squad, I thought it was something that was on the verge of, you know, on the verge of an Exeter or on the verge of the Saracens, and. Um, I mean, I went there, and in all honesty, I, I probably didn't. I still had my house in Bath, and they rented a flat in Gloucester, in Cheltenham, so I was going back and forth. So I probably never really committed to the whole thing as much as I should have, in hindsight. Yeah. And found it really, really difficult. Actually, I found it quite hard. I missed, I missed Bath. I, I love the club there. I love the, I mean, one of the most passionate clubs I've ever uh, played at, let alone you know been contracted to. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a tough year, man. It was a tough year. Like Dean, I know Dean had a really hard year because he, sadly, the mother of his children passed away in that year and he found that quite difficult. And then that affected how the squad was managed, you know, the coaches. And I, I didn't play well as well. Lots of players weren't happy. And it just, it wasn't, as you remember, mate, it wasn't a great year for the club that year. I remember we yeah. ended up coming like, geez, ninth, ninth or tenth with like a squad that, should only have been one or two, really, the, the players that we had at that point in time. And um, I mean, I, yes, yeah, great, still some still some great mates there, and I, and, I, and I will look upon that club and, and what it has very fondly. But for that, it wasn't a, it wasn't a massively enjoyable year from my point of view. But that was never anything to do with the club. That I think that was a lot to do with probably I could have stepped into that space a lot more in a, in a far more committed way than I did. Um, and I think I think the club was I think about eleven guys left that year who were in contract. Wow, which is which is pretty unique for a club, you know. So there were people that were unhappy there, but you know, a great club, and I know, and it's um, you know, it's geez, I, I would always whenever I see Gloucester winning on the team, like, in the results list, I always you know, feel a bit happy for them because they're, they're you know that I know that very well that when the supporters leave that 
stadium on a Saturday afternoon, if they win or if they lose, it, it, it shapes their week. Yeah. yeah. And you can only um, you can only want the best for those sorts of supporters, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I and I, I you know I, I I'm not sure what's going on at the moment with Cipriani leaving. What's going on? But I, yeah, I, a great club. I just wish it had gone better for me and the club together. Yeah. Definitely. Do you see? Sorry, just a very quick interjection question. I mean, obviously, Gloucester. I think we're lucky this season. They've announced that obviously no one's going down. I think that's that's lucky for Gloucester this season. We're, we're having an awful run of events. I mean, we've got hell of a team. Obviously, yeah, we've had Sips leave, um, things like that. Do, do you see a lot of other clubs maybe struggling from this, from from the situation we're in, or is it is it just business as normal, really? Um, that's a good question. Um. I'm probably not as involved in the day-to-day running of. I, kind of, I know I still have you know, mates that are at Bath, and I still have a handle that goes on at Bath. But I know that obviously a lot of the clubs at the moment are handling their squads in two bubbles to, to try and restrict the amount of damage that one yeah. collective squad can do if it catches COVID. Yeah, <clears throat> and that brings with it obviously issues and problems. But I think what what you what you I mean managing a squad's hard enough without COVID, let alone for for a manager, for a coach, for for whoever, for a director of rugby. And what I think what you'll probably see now is the, the teams that are the top two or three will always be okay because they have enough depth there and enough um, enough buy-in and confidence to be able to put the, any 25, 30 players into a first team and then perform to a high level. But I think where you see like the, the, the managers really earn their money is in that middle block where they've really got to manage their squad successfully and be a bit be a bit brave in places, be smart, you know, like look have a have a tremendous amount of foresight. And then and luck as well, you know, like these you guys get injured, you're fucked. So it's you've got there's no way out of that. Yeah. So um there'll be a lot of luck involved and I think probably not going not, not doing relegation is probably the right decision, I think, given what's going on. <clears throat> Um, yeah, man, it's Jesus. I, I said to a mate the other day, like, just rugby or anything, anything really. I was just like, fuck, well, we're going to look back in people when we're pushing up daisies in 300 years' time. People will look back on this moment we're living through, and it will be one of the most iconic eras and one of the most iconic eras in history. We're living yeah. through it as as adults, which is which is madness, you know. Like, mm. look back to how people were living during the war. and we're taking it all in our stride because it's generally what our generation try and do. Yeah. But it's madness to think that there's professional sports and businesses and fact like living through this time now. It's pretty, when you think, take a step back from it and look at it, it's, it's pretty mad. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Uh, yeah. But um, in terms of, um, obviously you play for quite a fair few teams now. Um, obviously Bath, Gloucester, then, then back to Bath, then Racing Metro, Grenoble, Scarlets, London Welsh. <laughs> Out of all those teams, I'm going to ask a completely really hard to answer question now. What's the one game that sticks out in your, in the, still gives you a lump in your throat, still gets the hairs going up on the back of your neck? Um, that's a good question. Um, club games. Mm. I mean, <clears throat> we played some really, really great games at Twickenham with Bath. They're always really special because we tend to we always get like sixty thousand there. Mm. So playing in that playing in that environment with your club mate, your teammates, the club mates is mm. is is hard to beat. Um, 
Good question. I mean, beating Munster at Racing Metro when I, my first ever game for their Stade de France was pretty special, considering I spoke no French and me and Max Machinot in the scrum half like were communicating with hand signals the whole game. <laughs> um, that was that. I don't know how he pulled that off. I've been there two yeah. weeks. And didn't speak. Did you win? We won, yeah. <laughs> Instant I'm sorry. Fair play to you, mate. Fair play. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was fun. It was it was a good one, but I still didn't speak any French for months after that. But did um, you ever learn fully? I had to, mate. Yeah, I, I was in meetings for the first eight weeks as a fly half, not having a clue what anyone was saying. And I mean, it, one of the most frustrating moments of my, of my career is that first couple of months when a you can't bond with your teammates really because mm-hmm. you, you can on a on a tactile level, but not on a, on a conversational level or understanding yeah, yeah. the game understanding, and not then also like not being able to go into a huddle during during training or games for the first probably two probably three months realistically, and be able to communicate what I needed from people and what yeah, I yeah. what I wanted from forwards and calls and stuff like that. That was like fuck. I'll go home knackered, absolutely knackered. Like, mentally knackered from just trying to find ways of steering the team communicating with people outside of like just natural tongue mm. I, couldn't, I just couldn't do it yeah so it, it forced me to i'd have lessons like four times a week for about an hour and i was a, I was a student in french for like five months and after five months i became pretty good and and then it was far far more enjoyable when, when that happened that's it it's always better to know the moves isn't it especially at 10 um, <laughs> what a statement, quite, Neil. It's quite good, one, wasn't it? I mean, as a, as a former 10, uh, amongst many other positions, um, I, yeah, obviously didn't play quite as high a standard as yourself, Ollie, but uh, <laughs> Dom, I'm surprised you didn't uh, come well, in with a darky comment then, Dom. Well, I don't have the effort for it, to be fair, mate. Every week, <laughs> it is now. Old boys <laughs> Every week, Gloucester Old Boys are going to shame you on this. But anyway, um, so from Racing to Grenoble, um, so what sort of prompts that move? How does a you know, we talk to all these different players every week. Uh, you know, what sort of prompts a transfer? Like, do they make contact with you, or do you? You know, does your agent put feelers out? Like, what is the process? Um, <clears throat> so, Race Metro was a medical joker, um, which means I covered. I was covering um, Juan Hernandez, who had um, a knee injury at the time, and then I, I had a, I had a deal whereby we'd have a conversation in the, the year and. Um, we, I would either stay on at an agreed salary or I would leave but depending we'd have a conversation depending on who wanted what yep. I actually would have stayed but they were buying people in John Wisniewski was coming back from injury so there was no place for me there so I was considering retiring at that point going back to London and like trying to, and, and then just going into into other stuff and then Late doors, Grenoble came in and Bernard Jackman was down there, the Irish um, coach, who was great, really good, uh, very, very knowledgeable, learned all his stuff at Leinster. So he had a lot of great systems and processes, pardon me, from there. Um, sorry, just neck to beer. I've um, <laughs> <laughs> this thing with my mates and we had, if we were a group and if um, oh, yeah. it comes in the group and someone taps next to beer and taps the screen and everyone's got to do it and I'm just <laughs> I'm, yeah. also we should um, bring it into the Dodgers bar yeah <laughs> yeah 
Um, and then, and then from there, like the, the club will contact you. Your agent will go out, and your agent will then finance what's out there for you. Yeah. Um, and then, mate, it's, it's there. That's from there really. I was quite lucky in the sense that at Bath, it was there was never really. Of the years I was in England, there was never really that conversation. It was just I would always be approached by Bath three months before the end of the season, four, six months before the end of the season, say, look, what are you need to do, like, how much, how long do you want? And that would be very, very quick conversations between me and Bath. And then even yeah. and was Boston was quick as well. And the slowest conversations I actually had were the, were, the, were the two contracts in my final year. The reality is, when you get older, you're just not going to be wanted as much. You know, that's just reality of it. Unless you are a, a top player, a top, top player, like you're the top 2%, your Farrells, your Itojis, your, and, your, and your guys that remain really injury-free and can sustain that super high level of performance for into their mid thirties, you're going to get to stage where you just not wanted as much. You're not going to get, you're not with me, you're not going to be paid as much. You're not yeah. going to be fight hard. And that's, and I, I always knew that and I accepted that. And that's why I think I found um, transitioning out of rugby, probably a little bit, not easy, but easier than some of, some people I know, just because I, I it, it never, def- I loved it, but it never really, I never felt like it defined me. Mm. Um, I love the game and I'm grateful for it. And, and, I, and, and I've got amazing friends and experiences from it. But I don't think it ever defined me. And I always knew I wouldn't be wanted one day. And I, and I was comfortable with that, you know. Uh, it doesn't, some, it's, no, sometimes it's hard when you're like, yeah. salaries get slashed and some people at the clubs don't want you and your agent calls back and says, says mate, actually, you know, still nothing out there, mm. which happened the last couple of years. But I look at it, I was fortunate to have, 14 years when well, that didn't happen to me, you know. So sure. I, I'll take I'll take the two when I was scratching around. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. So um, when you moved to London Welsh, that was a bit of a funny, well, not not a funny time period for them, but they were signing a lot of sort of big names at the time. Was it Piri Weepu? Was that your era at London Welsh? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who else was there? Was it Tom May or was... He, Tom May was there. Chris Alafia was there from London Irish. Um, so what was that like? Because that, that's you know obviously a team. So you know not with a huge sort of Premiership you know games under their belt, but had all of these superstars then coming in and sort of integrating with you know their original sort of squad. If that makes sense. Uh, mate, all the guys that came in were actually very very down to earth. Piri is incredibly down to yeah. earth. Um, very knowledgeable bloke. Very, like, he, he settled in within a couple of weeks. Like just like like a lot of the, the All Blacks that I've met, you know, like they're all very similar. You know, they're all incredibly grounded, and um, he settled in straight away. Like he, he was he was one of the boys the last few years, uh, and they're an awesome bunch of lads. So that actually the team the team actually got on very very quickly. And being where we are in London is obviously cracking social. So you always doing yeah. stuff which is key for a team you know and particularly a new team um we could have done some really really cool stuff there you know we, we, we knew we were never going to be mid-table but we wanted to try and survive and stay up and um i think there were some issues where like i don't really feel like the coach the coaching start probably wasn't as um i don't think it was really ready for the premiership to be honest yeah. with you having played the premiership i don't think that they Premiership's tough, man. It's, it's tough. Like there are smart coaches, smart players, 
they're all disciplined systems and you need to be smart and you need to build your strategy and your squad over the course of the year and you need to build your strategy around your players and you need to be if, if you are the top four and you have a good squad then you it's like you, you can go to the races but if you're the bottom four or five you've got to be really smart yeah um, especially when the winter comes when you when these big top four will just pile you through through the forwards and they'll kick you to death um, and you know when you're when you're when you're depleted with injuries as well so it's, I don't think we had that ability to do that in the coaching team at the time um, that's not to say that it was all the coaches fault because we go on the field and we play the game but yeah. I do really feel like at the time it, it was it was difficult because there wasn't that probably that leadership and that understanding of what it took to to succeed in the Premiership over the course of the season no definitely well uh, yeah just touching on that obviously finished up at London Welsh um, you now mentioned previously you're doing a lot of charity work do you want to just talk to us about that give us the uh, the backstory on that yeah um, so a guy I used to play um, we used to train with actually I never actually played with Ed Jackson but Ed um, and Ed and I I mean honestly this is people like laugh when I say this but we were never mates <laughs> we were never mates at bar you know um I was a bit older than him. We did really socialise together. And then when he came back to Bath um, after he broke his neck, he, I mean, if you were aware of it, Ed yeah. Jackson broke his neck, yeah. And Ed said to me, we started socialising more together and hanging out and realised that we actually got on really, really well. And he said to me at one point, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to start this charity. I want to, um, I want to help people in my position that have suffered from either... Um, you know, PTSD, repatriation out of the army, people that suffer from like various injuries that have been given bleak prognosis about their recovery. He, he's incredibly mentally strong dude. And, and he wanted, it's not, it was actually, I'm not going to say it was easy for him, but yeah. he's like knocked it out of the park and lots of people aren't going to do that. And he wanted to help those people. And he said to me, like, will you, will you help me? And I was like, fuck yeah, I'd love to, man. I'd love to. Um, so we designed a a charity which was basically designed around two concepts. One was to take people away up the mountains and on explorations um, to a raise money for the charity, but also take beneficiaries away up the mountains with support from people like breathing experts, um, yoga teachers, life coaches, like a support team around them that could help them structure and routine their recovery and try and give them a slightly more positive outlook on where they were going if they were struggling and there's a there's a strict process we go through to try and assess who that is and how we pick them but and the other one was um we, we've been to a thousand charity dinners and, and they were all boring as shit and, and we wanted to do something that was different and so we created something called beat which was um basically like a banquet with DJ up, up we will be paired chefs with DJs and the up and coming chefs the up and coming DJs and then we put them in unique venues and be it's basically a, a big party with a bunch of tech music and bank and a bank and a banquet in long haul it's pretty cool. Um and we have circus performers there as well. So it's kind of like a nod to like it's like a techie <laughs> the Soleil banquet type thing. If I, but we basically we went to a club in Ibiza called Heart, called Heart, and um, 
we loved it and just tried to recreate that basically because we just loved it. There was nothing like it in England, okay. and um, and those are the two sides of, of, the, of the of the foundation. And we received um, charity foundation status about nine months now, so we're an official foundation. And awesome. I think in in June we go to Iceland and take away our first um, collection of beneficiaries. So this year has been really good for us. We've, we've went through a selection process and we picked about six and then we've got two going to Nepal, wow. two coming to Iceland, two going to uh, Mont Blanc. Um, and then they get then We have a lot of stuff with them out there. Then we come back and then they have, and then we'll look, then we'll put support around them for the next 12 months. 12 months is the, like the intensive part. And then they stay in this, this I don't want to say system, but they stay in our system for the next two years after that. So three years in total. Wow. And then we bring you guys on the, yeah, it's cool, man. It's, it, it's great. It's um, I don't know if you've, any of you guys follow Ed, but he, he's a pretty inspirational bloke. And yeah. um, no, he doesn't. Um, he definitely like is a, leads by example. He things gone over his shoulder. He works his nuts off. He never he never moans, and um, he has every right to you know to feel probably protect, not, I wouldn't say hard done by, but you know, disadvantage, and he doesn't, he doesn't, he just cracks on with it, and, and he's super positive, and sometimes I just want to tell him to shut the fuck up and stop being so positive, because it, <laughs> it makes you feel like you know, he's not alone Makes you reflect then, on yourself. <laughs> sorry? It makes you reflect on yourself, doesn't it? Think, oh, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> sometimes, sometimes, like, I'm, I'm a pretty positive bloke, but sometimes you just want to have a fucking moan, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 just, like, just, fucking bitch about someone or something <laughs> um but he but he's great man and he's, he's awesome and that like, being around him and being involved in it is been really great awesome that's amazing that's great, great work. Awesome. yeah well um we'll just we'll wrap it up shortly um we did a thing obviously bath supporters known for their passion uh i popped a little question <clears throat> in one of the facebook groups earlier in this week um did the same for Dave Atwood. Um, I think you probably got a, a slightly nice response from poor old Dave. Um, so I'll just read a few of these out now. Um, Richard Knight, obviously a huge Bath fan, asked, what are you doing Sunday? Can you play in the second row? <laughs> obviously Bath struggling there at the moment. Um, does he have any secret regrets on his decisions during his rugby career from Anthony Hart? Well, that's not what we may see here, isn't it? I'm to out Do I have any secret regrets? I think Seems he may be hinting at Gloucester there. <laughs> I mean, that's just bitterness out of anything else, I think. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't regret that. It was a tough time, but I don't, I definitely don't regret that. And one thing I, I probably, I think as I've got older, um, I've probably become far more... I always worked quite hard. And I was I was quite proud of the fact that I was quite disciplined. But I think since leaving rugby and starting my own business and doing having more responsibility and accountability in life to just live and exist, um, it, it's I've become far more disciplined and and I manage my time better. And I'm just I'm probably a better human now. And, and I kind of wish that I had been the human I am now back in my career because I think I would have been I would have done more yeah I think when I played I, I was I worked very hard but I didn't and I loved, loved the game but there were things that I did which I probably wouldn't have done 
a various um just how I conducted myself sometimes uh, and I, and I think had I had had the the approach I have now to life back when I played I think I would I would have done a lot more but I I, no, I love my time at, at yeah. playing and I'm forever grateful for it so that's probably the now I'm not so secret regret um Neil Capel ask ask him if he misses Wade Bridge Camels <laughs> Neil Capel <coughs> yeah yeah um that's the club where I started actually in Cornwall. It's, it's, ah, right, okay. uh, it was li- literally a cow field with a, sh- a shed. Um, just the, yeah, just the most spitting sawdust rugby club, and and he was one of the. Uh. He was actually one of the guys from there, and like he was, he was so annoying. He used to get knocked out every <laughs> seven by his own teammates, wow. not on the pitch, on the bar yeah. afterwards. So. Old Neil. <laughs> Yeah, Neil. Don't feel sorry for me, mate. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm just checking him out now. Um, <laughs> have you ever fancied a director of rugby role Bath specifically? Obviously, a bit of a tough time. Uh, would you ever consider yeah, managing Bath? Mate, I'm not. I am not equipped to be a director of rugby. I know. I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses, and I think that. That, that role is tough in any club. I mean, oh, your Bath, Gloucesters, Leicesters, Exeter probably now as well, probably all those West, Bristol, all those West Country areas where rugby yeah. is, is everything. Yeah. It is a, that is a tough job. And it's, um, I think, I think Stu Hooper has got a, has got a difficult job there. And I think, you know, and I think Bruce is, Bruce Craig, who owns it, is not the yeah. easiest person to, to no. manage the club in terms of to be, to be. I mean, you have the players and you have Bruce and then you have Stu, who I think is, is a great guy. Um, I'm just not sure how much um, autonomy he has in that club. And I, and I just, I think, you know, if you put someone in a role to, you, you, you pay someone good money to, who's the right man for the job to do a role, you let them do that role. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure that that's happening at Bath at the moment. And I, I don't, I, I mean, I'm not in there, but, you know, I, I know enough to know that, that there's probably pushing and pulling going on. And, and it makes me sad because, I, you know, I, 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 they shouldn't, they shouldn't be where they are in the league. And they are, they're a great, I've, you know, I still hold the club very, very dearly in my heart. They, they I did, you know, had moments and memories there that I never thought I would have in a million years, you know, when I was a kid. So yeah. um, I wish I wish them all the best, and I really hope that they sort themselves out because they it just it's just wrong them being down where they are in the league at the moment. Tell me about it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Min's not happy with that one. Not happy. Uh, last couple, um, Bob Densley. But early in his career, Ollie was slated uh, slated to play for Wales under eighteen schools, but it didn't happen. I don't know if you mean slated or <laughs> maybe started or maybe you were slated. I don't know. Yeah, I was slated, yeah. Um, I was, uh, yeah, so what, I, I got a bit disillusioned with the, the England school system. Just, I just, um, do you know what? I don't even know why. I, I can't, I'm embarrassed to say I don't even know why it's happened. But I think that the Welsh, the Welsh school boys and the Welsh school system in 21s were, when I was younger, were, the bollocks, like they were really, really strong. Um, I have I, my, my family is more Welsh than they are English. Like, my mother and my, my mother's side is incredibly well, very, very Welsh, very Welsh. 
um, Newport for, for her sins. Um, and when they heard, when they found this out, I don't know, it was mentioned in the newspaper, I can't remember, but they contacted me and said, would you come and trial for the Welsh under 18s? And, and I become disillusioned with the England system for, for some reason. I mean, it can't be that strong because I can't even fucking remember. So that's embarrassing. <laughs> but anyway, I did. And it went, and it went quite well. The trial went quite well. And I got to the stage where I um, was um, to be the Welsh under 18 squad. And then from there, you know, who knows what would happen. But I ended up not doing that and playing for England under 18s um, and then staying with England under 18s. And then when, when I went to do my first development session with England, I was like 18 years old and I was in this development squad with like Lewis Moody, um, who else? Lewis Moody, Leon Lloyd, a bunch of other guys, and Jamie Noom, all these like young guys. They were older than me when I was like 18 years old, training with the England team, which was mental. And um, Andy Robinson called me up in the car on the way home and said, you know, what, what's the crack with this Wales thing? Because obviously once you play, once you play for Wales, like the senior team, then that is it. Like you've got to wait four years and there's a bunch of other stuff. So he called me and said, I was crap with that. Is are you going to commit to this? And I was like, yeah, obviously, yeah, that's, you know, yeah, I'm here now. And um, then he got me on the tour six months later when I was like barely 19. So um, that was, that was, that was, that's the Welsh story. And then uh, obviously the final one, which got a lot of attention do you think your best ever tackle was on a pitch of Vader dressed as Goldilocks? <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I'm embarrassed to say, yeah, probably. And, uh, there's, a few, there's a few reasons why I'm embarrassed. One was that he didn't even notice. He didn't even see it coming. Yeah, it was a great tackle. Two, he was dressed as a chick. <laughs> and three, he was pissed out of his face as well. Uh, <laughs> I mean, two of those three made the whole situation very one-sided. Uh, Didn't you yeah. mention? I mean, we mentioned this before we started recording, but did you tell us the story that you actually knew the guy? Yeah, like, I, I did. I did when he came on the field. Like, he came on the field, and then, and I was actually quite pissed off anyway because we had lost the game at that point, and then we were waiting for the a dead rubber kick to to just miss. Yeah, yeah. didn't affect the game, so I was waiting there, pretty pissed off, and. And as he got closer to me, I was like, oh, <laughs> I recognise him. I was like, and it was uh, Luke Footy from, uni- from my brother's university, who I, I, I've like, bumped into a few times and Charlie was mates with it, my brother. And I was like, fuck, yeah, I, was like, I, just, I just felt good. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, uh, yeah, that's a little variety of Bath fans where their heads are at the moment. I think we'll just wrap up with a few uh, trademark scenario questions from Neil. Hopefully you've got some good ones this week. I've got a couple of questions I just want to jump in with before the scenarios. Uh, one that I've asked a few of our guests before, but it's always an interesting one for me. What, in your opinion, we'll keep it to the Premiership, but what would you say, as an away player, is the worst stadium to play at? Sail comfortably. Yeah? Why is that? Uh, I used to Because it was Friday night and it was a long trip. Hmm. Always bus. Uh, we used to stay at a place called Breadbury Hall usually as well, which was like <clears throat> party central. Nice. So you'd be in there and like, you'd, yeah, it would just be difficult. 
and then you be, there'd be night games you're in your room all day and then you get there and narrow pitch shitty weather and they are a physical team they batter you yeah and, um, it was just particularly when you were playing there's a really good really mean slope on that pitch um, that, not the one they're at now the one at um, what was the previous um, I forget the name of it it's the stadium before they play at now it was, yeah. very, it was very one sided on the slope and uh when when you were playing down the when you were playing up the slope, is uh, yeah, it was just the nightmare. I can remember a few games there where we, me and the boys just been like, just get ten minutes from the end when we weren't going to get up the pitch. <laughs> Sale for sure. Yeah, no fair play. And and what about uh, was there any stadiums that you used to go to that the fans used to give you a particularly hard time? That you you like. You know, it used to maybe affect you playing in that sense, or maybe you just switch off as soon as the game starts. I mean, I don't know, obviously. Other than the obvious one, Gloucester. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to mention it. I mean, I don't know if you <coughs> mention that uh, I'm a Gloucester fan, but yeah, obviously the shed is, is <laughs> I was alluding <laughs> to, know. but I mean, are there well, any other stadiums into that... the shed podcast. Uh, yeah, we may as well. Every but are there any other stadiums where their fans can maybe be a bit of a, make a bit of a difference, like possibly the shed? You know, are there any other stadiums that you think the fans may have a big influence? I think Gloucester, yeah, I mean, Gloucester, it, it, that can be quite an intimidating place to play. Um, I think what helps there is that the one side is quite far away. Yeah. Mm. That, that, that takes a bit of pressure off that side. The shed side is quite close. I actually quite like playing at Gloucester because of the width. And it's quite open. And so I, I actually like going to play there as an away player. I, I love pitching for width. Um so uh, that negated the issue with the crowd. Yeah, not the issue, but the but the the partisan nature of the Gloucester crowd. Um, mate, Exeter is is a tough place to go because you feel you kind of feel the weirdly you feel the crowd's intensity as well, and and they're a physical team. Even though it's big, width, they're a very physical team, and, and you just feel like. Their supporters are so behind their team, you know. They you really feel it down there that they they love their boys and they get behind their boys, and, uh, and that is that is difficult to play a team when they they because they get so much from that. Um, a lot like Bath actually, when Bath are playing well, you know, when we when we have a good season, <coughs> the boys are putting it in. You know, Bath, you know, we, we used to feel that, you know, really really feel that. Whereas get some clubs can be quite fair weather, but Exeter. And yeah, you definitely feel like their fans are yeah. are definitely behind them, and that makes a difference. Yeah, no, it's 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 that's always interesting me to see what you know from a player's point of view, obviously. Um, right, well, uh, one more question before I jump into a couple of scenarios. Um, obviously, we got the Six Nations again coming up on the weekend. Uh, unfortunately, Scotland and France games have been postponed. Um, but I just want to get your thoughts on England Wales um, and particularly. Uh, the selection recently and this week and your thoughts on it and whether you think what your thoughts on the game particularly whether you think we'll win or whether Wales will sorry about six That's, questions in one there wasn't it I, I have to be brutally honest with you here I don't watch much rugby anymore wow okay so I, 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 I have not seen the England game right. um, and I will I'll watch the, I'll watch tomorrow's game because England Wales is always about to but um so I'm not going to pretend that I know what I'm talking about because I didn't see the game last week. I do know that um, 
I do know that obviously, like I know Farrell's back at twelve, and then and then they put they put Forty back to ten, haven't they? Which I think is definitely a case of you know through the Saris boys struggling because of that 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 lack of weekly intensity that they're not, they're not getting. Mm. With all due respect to the championship, um, and it's that's fuck, it's tough to do that to go from a championship, you know, with one man and his dog, and then go into an international <laughs> game is difficult and. I think that's probably probably costing a few of their key players. Um, mate, that is, I'm afraid that's all I've got in that situation. Well, that's more than I've got. That's what I have to bring into your yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I haven't watched much much international rugby. I've actually, yeah, I haven't no watched worries. much international rugby. It stops there. No worries. Right, well, I've got a couple of um, Dom mentioned predictable scenarios because we've had, I mean, we've started this one at the start of lockdown and we've carried on all the way through since we're back in lockdown. Um, right, you have to be on lockdown with a player you've played with at some point in your career. Uh, you're in a, a two-bedroom bungalow for two weeks. You can't go out at all. People are bringing you food. You're, you know, you, you have to spend 24 hours a day with this person. Who would make it an absolute living hell and why? Oh, I, I, I mean... <laughs> I can think of a couple of people who like are genuinely annoying, but that, that, that I, don't, I don't know if that if that's going to go down that well. But <laughs> oh, I can think of a few people that are mates of mine that I just love, but I also find irritating. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, have you had Dave Atwood on here? Yeah, yeah we had him on. Yeah, yeah, uh, a couple of weeks ago. I, lo- I like I love Dave, but he would be up there because really? he just talks about himself all the time. <laughs> Does he talk we, about himself in the third person? Dave Atwood uh, is going to get a bowl of cereal. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. He 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 his nickname is Smugwood. Smugwood. Smuggers. So I mean, like there is there is regularly stuff that comes out of his mouth, which is like sickening. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. And who would make it a dream? Who could you just have two weeks with like that, no problem, and you'd still be best of mates at the end of it? Oh, mate, I'm, I'm very lucky to say there's a long list. That's good. Um, mate, a lot of great mates. Uh, mate, I'm very good friends with David Flatman. He's a funny, funny, funny fucker. No, no. <laughs> he, he, would make, he would probably make, yeah, he's a very close friend of mine. And he would, other than nicking, I mean, as long as the portions of food were large enough and there was enough meat on hand, <laughs> he could go through meat. Like, I went to dinner at his about two months. This is a true story. I went to dinner at his about two months ago. And um, his girlfriend, Freya, wasn't in. So he made a chicken. That was it. That was our food. I don't know. Just, just, chicken. Chicken. just chicken. Just chicken. <laughs> no, no, nothing with it. Just No, no. Ketchup. <laughs> Ketchup. Nice. Chicken and ketchup. Did you have to eat tough <laughs> four? He, 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 gets, he gets given all these like the big barbecue you've ever seen. He gets given all this lovely meat and stuff. <clears> so, I mean, he's a drop down dead in a matter of months, I reckon. He just all he does is eat meat. <laughs> it's not a bad way to go, though, is it? I mean, no, death by meat. Yeah, I mean, he, 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 will, he will champion death by meat. He's definitely <laughs> brilliant. Right. Who was always the tr- the person who got you in trouble when you out on the out on the drink. What what whenever you saw someone turn up on the, you know when you were in a club session out on the night out, 
Who do you think? Oh, for fuck's sake, he's here again. Shit. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not. I think this is quite a funny question to ask me because most people would say me. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Most people would say me when I was playing, but I do like a party. Um, <laughs> don't we all? Who who are the, who are the side of um, a few like. Oh, we had a, we had a yeah we had a, we had a pretty loose bunch, of, but um, <laughs> uh, I think I was the worst. Oh god, I think I was the worst. Um, I mean, there's a few guys that have alter egos, right? Um, oh god, do you know what? Like everyone, Michael Lippman. Michael Lippman. Michael Lippman. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If he if he was out on the pitch, like he would he would go for it, and he was fairly unpredictable. <laughs> unpredictable. In what way? Give us an example. Um, he did this. Uh, he would do this. He did this thing where he would like he he regularly see him with his top off in the club, right? And he'd be this thing where he'd pull out ice, like fresh ice, and chuck it in his foreheads. So it was, <laughs> To find people with like cut foreheads from like <laughs> fresh eye, he cut my forehead once with this ice, nice or red. Um, I mean, Jack, do you remember a guy called Jack Cuthbert? Jack Cuthbert, Jack Cuthbert, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jack Cuthbert, mate, he he is <laughs> an handful, but more, more, <laughs> more than more than more so than me. Like, he has got in some scrapes, and he, yeah, Jack Cuthbert is. Yeah, bad. <laughs> you have to uh, you have to get us in with Mark a little. We've been trying to get him on for a while, but he keeps ignoring my WhatsApps. Uh, right. you, haven't, you haven't abused him on Twitter in the past, have you, Dom? Nah, not, not me, mate. <laughs> right. Well, one final. Um, well, two more. Sorry. What is the worst initiation you've either done or seen? Oh. That's a tasty one. <laughs> You can call the fifth on any of these, obviously. I'm getting a bit fruity. Um, I, I, I mean, Dan, Dan, never that bad for me. Like, I, I, I did like no, they're not bad. Just think, just nothing bad for me. Nothing bad that I, I would even waste time mentioning on here of like me. But like, when when we used to do the end of year. Super Sunday, yeah. and we were allowed to do them at the club. So we do them in the players' part of the club, and I used to organise them with a couple of the old lads. And we did this gauntlet once for the for the young lads, so like, like an initiation, but it was the end of the year. Mm. And um, we would put Alcapop, usually something, then something really flat, like a Guinness or a bitter, on every line of the pitch. So you got you go off, and they'd race. And they'd go like WKD Guinness, WKD Bitter, WKD Pint of Water. And they'd have to neck them, and then they'd come back. Oh, and, and the whole thing was, if you look, if you lost, you got to do it again. So, and you're doing you're doing them on the way back as well. So, Jesus Christ, you've got. I mean, what you've got, you've got a, a WKD on the twenty-two, and a Guinness on the ten. A water on the halfway, a WKD on the ten, a Guinness or a bitter on the twenty-two, another one on, the, and then you come back as well. So it takes them like 
<clears throat> spewing up. But then, then, then on the, I shouldn't really be saying this, but when, when on the back there's this net at the back, they're crawling on this net, and a few of the boys that were drunk were pissing on them in the net. <laughs> 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 like, that, that, that was that was like the oh god, that was the <laughs> that was the um, like what's that thing they call that thing in Argentina that that salt course they do. Um, oh god, I know that's like total wipeout. Total wipeout, yeah. yes, <laughs> that's what we called it. And we were like, and then the boys were like, we should, uh, we should get some um, hoses. And then the boys were like, no, we don't need hoses. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, and then one of the lads, like, um, obviously, like, what well, Dave, 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 it was David Ward actually, the, the hooker from Quinns, remember Dave Ward? Yeah, 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 he, um. He lost it again, and he was game over, man. He was bad. Oh, yeah. Not good. Um, right, one final one from me. Um, you wake up in a dark room. It's going to get a bit weird, but bear with me. Wake up in a dark room. I like, I like weird. I can be weird. Excellent. Uh, it might not be weird enough. I don't know. I was told it wasn't weird enough. <laughs> wake up in a dark room. You hear a little squeaking from the corner, and it's that little scary fucker from Saw cycling in, saying, want to play a game. On the table, you've got 20 points of Guinness. 20 points of lager, um, 20 vodka lime and sodas. I don't know why that was the first one that comes to my mind. And 50 Jaegers. You've got two hours to get through them and you've got to pick two players to do it with. Who do you choose? I mean, based off what you've said, that just sounds like you just do that on your own, mate. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, man, aren't they? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I just feel Andy Beatty, big back row from Bath. He yeah. can put on pissed another guy that I just, is uh, John Davis the Welsh centre yeah he can tuck away some piss for a back um, for a back for a back um, <laughs> Andy Beatty and Jonathan Davis yeah strong Fox fair play well uh, thank you very much for coming on Ollie much appreciated for giving up your lockdown Friday night and uh, yeah I imagine you'll be uh, back on the uh, virtual Slash as soon as uh, as soon as you get off this, uh, mate. I've mate, yeah, I, I think I have a few beers tonight for sure. Uh, well, uh, thanks again, and uh, yeah, hope you can catch you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me, boys. Have a good, have a good weekend. Cheers. You too. Thanks, 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 thanks. Bye bye.